What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's Good Games Live, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Monday morning right here at twitch.tv slash what's good games at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Welcome to everybody joining us live in the chat. We see you. We love you. Thank you for letting me know about that audio issue. We got it fixed for everybody watching at youtube.com slash what's good games and of course listening on their favorite podcast platform maybe you're listening on things like google and apple we're gonna oh. talk about them in just a little bit ooh. Ooh, ooh, that was spicy Ooh, i like that ooh, a lot Ooh, i'm andrea renee of course joined by my partner in crime miss Brittany brombacher hello andrea renee hi Brett. how was your weekend it was good. It was one of those weekends where you just kind of bumble around. You don't do a heck of a lot. I got some Botox, you know, just like one of those things that you do. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, Listen, the, you told me and I was like jealous. Yeah. So yeah. jelly. Yeah. Thankfully, the Derma Medical Spas in my neck of the woods, they're all uh, able to operate in a very safe fashion. So I got some things stuck in my face. I was like, oh, yes, doctor, it's been eight months. Give me more. Give You're me like, more. I need to feel alive. Poke me in the face with needles. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Got no secrets. No secrets on what's good games. Botox is fantastic. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. So ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned at the very top, we do have some exciting news happening for you today. We're going to be talking about Epic Games lawsuit against Apple. We're also going to be talking about that fantastic new Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer reveal that happened this morning. And, of course, we want to mention that there's a cool game that's on the horizon called Animal Farm. Yes, that Animal Farm. We've got all that and more coming up on today's show. But before we get to that, I want to go over just a couple of quick announcements. This is a reminder. Rihanna and I are streaming tonight. And, yes, I swapped out Xboxes. I tested everything yesterday. So help me God. We are going to finish (laughs) Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition tonight. Man, that's so crazy. I know, I'm just so sad. I think that my other Xbox might be bricked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so if you guys joined us last week, you know that I had some uh, serious technical problems that I thought were the computer, then I thought were OBS, and I thought were my capture card. Turns out it's just just the Xbox, just the Xbox's fault. Um, So hopefully we will get that all sorted because I tested it and it was working. (laughs) Fingers crossed. But we all know Um, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, Britt, we'll you remain know, optimistic. I know, I know that's true. I know that's true, but I'm holding out hope that it's going to work. So fingers crossed. Um, I'll be back on Wednesday. Haven't quite decided what I'm going to be streaming yet. And then all of us will be back this weekend for our Patreon exclusive streams. Brittany, what are those Patreon exclusive streams all about? Well, Andrea, what if I told you they are streams exclusive to Patreon? So all of our patrons get access to our Happy Hour Q&A live stream, which takes place once a month, which is where all of us sit around and take your questions, and usually we sip an alcoholic beverage or two. It's a really fun hangout time. And then we have our After Hours stream, which is when we play games with you, with the listeners, the viewers, or sometimes we play games by ourselves. Sometimes we do voice acting in games like Best Friend Forever. Yep, Where, yeah, and true. usually Simon romances me. I usually take like the, the voice of the person Simon romances, <laughs> and I feel really good about it. Well, I mean, she is your wifey, so. She is, even though I forget about her sometimes. But no, those will be taking place at 12 p.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Pacific, respectively. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm trying to convince Britt to play Fall Guys. Oh, I played it last night. Oh, you did? I did. I played two rounds. It's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. It's lots of fun. It's even more fun with friends because then you can watch them play. Oh, yeah. um, and you you compete against each other, and I I enjoy that. That'd be a fun one to play this weekend. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Well, now that all the announcements are out of the way, let's just dive right in because we have some lengthy news stories to talk about today. And of course, if you saw me tweeting last week, you know I have lots of things to say about this Epic Game Store. But it's been really good that I've had a couple of days to sit on it and look at some other people's opinions and read a lot more about it. And so I think that it's it's going to be something that obviously is going to be drawn out because legal battles never move quickly, especially ones of this nature. But in case you happen to miss the news, um, Microsoft is no longer the only person with beef with Apple. Facebook gaming is no longer the only person with beef with Apple. Now, Epic Games decided to just take a can of gasoline and throw it on the beefy fire and it's like, let's go. Let's smoke some salt and cheese over this beefy fire. Literally, that's exactly what they're doing. All right, so let me catch you up here. So this write-up comes from gamesindustry.biz. Fortnite developer Epic Games seems to have a way of breaking with the rules. In the face of Fortnite's success, companies have ended long-standing practices. Hold on, let me move these notes over so I'm not looking so far off screen. Um, There we go. Um, Like Sony, which abandoned its fight against cross-platform play back in 2018 after Epic Games forced the issue, eventually leading cross-play to other games too. Fortnite's size and popularity, of course, gave Epic Games the power to bend Sony and Nintendo's rules, but will the tactic work with monoliths like Apple and Google? Well, the North Carolina-based company is trying. On Thursday morning, Epic Games updated Fortnite with new options for payment processing, providing a discounted price for players who chose to process payments through Epic, not Apple or Google. Epic thus circumvented the Apple storefront 30% cut on purchases by giving players a 20% discount on V-Bucks, Fortnite's in-game currency. In response, both Apple and Google removed Fortnite from the App Store and the Google Play Store, respectively, citing policy violations. As it turns out, this is what Epic Games was expecting, and it had a plan. (laughs) Moments after the game was removed from Apple's storefront, Epic Games began its hashtag free Fortnite campaign, complete with a hashtag in-game propaganda video and a pair of lawsuits. So before I continue, I'm going to go ahead and um, get this rolling for you so you guys can take a look. Oh, hold on. There we go. (laughs) In those lawsuits, Epic Games argues that Google's and Apple's policies are anti-competitive and a violation of antitrust laws. Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney said on Twitter that his company was not looking for special treatment. It wants Apple and Google to change its rules to create a truly open platform to benefit all developers, not just Epic. It'll be a hell of a fight, Sweeney said. (laughs) Fortnite's removal from the App Store doesn't necessarily impact gamers too much, at least not gamers on Android. Google's platform is more than Apple's, and the game wasn't even available on the Play Store until April. Instead, people had to download it directly from Epic Games, and they can still do that, including its updates. So... We all know that the legal process for antitrust cases is devastatingly slow, as gamesindustry.biz has pointed out. And what they kind of continue to the story with, and I did cut up quite a bit of this. If you guys want to read the full article, you are welcome to go to that website and check it out. But it is quite a lengthy one. But I think it's important to kind of look at the litigation impact. And so what they write is, this litigation has a much larger scope than any of the challenges that Epic Games has faced, like the Sony face-off. 
Epic Games is the underdog, if you can call it that, although it's valued at more than $17 billion. That's still significantly overshadowed by the trillion-dollar market capitalization of Alphabet, Google's parent company, and Apple. Epic isn't asking the court to rewrite antitrust laws as it stands. Instead, it's asking the judge to enforce the law as it currently exists. It's different in that way from the antitrust hearing in Congress last month where government officials discussed potential changes to market power rules. Epic's lawsuit, however, is still important if Epic wins. It'll make it clear that Apple and Google's practices are illegal, and then those companies will be forced to change their practices. So there's just two more notes that I want, and then I see that Adrian has written in, and I'll let Brick get to that in just a second. I want to make note, before we jump to this discussion, that back at DICE 2020, Brittany, where you and I presented an award at the DICE Awards, remember that when we got to see other people in person? How is that this year? <laughs> I know. It doesn't feel like it, doesn't it? <laughs> no. Feels like forever ago. But back at DICE, Tim Sweeney made yet another controversial statement, which actually flies directly in the face of this move. So what he said on stage during his keynote there was, quote, we should get the marketing departments out of politics. We live in a world where your political affiliation determines what chicken restaurant you go to. There's no reason to drag divisive topics like that into gaming. Then he later specified that employees and customers should be free to express themselves. But, quote, we as companies need to divorce ourselves from politics. Platforms should be neutral. And I thought that was hysterical that he said that just months ago and then this happened. Because clearly that video, that 1984 video, was queued up. And speaking of that video, many people have no idea the origins of that video, where it came from, what it stood for. And I highly encourage you to visit our guest from just last week, Rebecca Valentine's op-ed that she wrote over at gamesindustry.biz titled Epic's 1984 Fortnite video is an irresponsible piece of corporate propaganda. So I found her op-ed very interesting. I happen to agree with it. And you don't have to agree with it, but I do encourage you to read it because she gives a good history about the importance of 1984 as the Apple um, advertisement that came out back then. And, of course, like 1984 as a larger literary work and its whole like anti-communist theme, roots, whatever you want to call it. So it's it's interesting. It's way too long for us to dive into here. So, Brittany. That was a lot. It, it was a lot. You know, when this news broke, I was on a peaceful hike in Clay in Washington. I came back. Birds were still <laughs> chirping. The sun was out. And then it was just a fucking shit fire on Twitter. I was like, oh, no. Why? Why? So, I mean, here's the thing is we've been supporters of Epic, especially with the Epic Game Store, for a very long time. We got dragged for it all over the place on online, on YouTube comments, Twitter, everywhere. Because we're like, hey, yeah, like these revenues, this revenue split should be less than 70-30. It's nice for a lot of various reasons. So I like I like that part of this. I like that that's what they're saying it's all about, although it kind of seems like it's more about the open marketplace. But I digress. What I don't like, though, is how Epic is painting this picture, especially since it's being marketed toward mostly children. And I don't think they understand the logistics of what's going on. I think it's cool to teach and empower children to learn, you know, and not even just children, people who don't even understand the full logistics of what's happening, what's going on and what the big picture is, but telling people that they should be mad for the sake of being mad 
I think is very unhealthy and it doesn't do any good to anyone. I think if you want to educate them on what's happening, that's great. But this message is Epic Games has defied the App Store monopoly. In retaliation, Apple is blocking Fortnite from a billion devices. Join the fight to stop 2020 from becoming 1984 and then hashtag free Fortnite. Like that's so crazy to me. Yeah, it's it was really frustrating to me last week because as I mentioned on Twitter and as you just mentioned as well, we love Epic Games. I applauded them for what they did. And it was just really frustrating to me to watch the reaction of people going after Apple and Google, but they were going after Epic for going after Steam, who has the exact same profit split policy. And it's just... it's way more complicated than that, right? So I'm not trying to make right. it reductive. Clearly, the lawsuit goes into several different parameters of the App Store policies and its anti-competitiveness and monopolistic tendencies that they're trying to overturn, right? And I had some great insight from people who brought up the Sherman Act, which is over 100 years old and is antitrust legislation here in the United States. And there's a lot to unpack there. I am not a legal expert. I don't know how this lawsuit is going to go for Epic. Do I hope that Apple walks back some of their very aggressive policies? Absolutely. Like, to be clear, I'm not defending Apple here. I'm just, my my point over the last couple of weeks has always been Apple has a private platform that it spent decades investing in and building. And I found it really you know, distasteful that a giant leader in the marketplace was coming in to be like, well, now we've just decided in this moment that we're going to be upset about that, even though we've been selling product on your store for months and months now, years at this point. So I was like, well, okay, but you clearly didn't have a problem with it before, or your problem with it wasn't bad enough that you said anything previously, at least not publicly. And now they're bringing this lawsuit. And I did appreciate other people's perspectives on you need somebody like an Epic Games to throw their weight around who can afford to do it to really fight for all the little guys who can't. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. Do I hope that Epic wins? Yeah, I do. I think it would be great for all developers for them to be able to have more freedom in the way that they process payments. Do I think that there's go- going to be just a universal turning of the switch where everyone's going to be able to accept direct payments and Apple gets nothing? Definitely not. <laughs> you know, I think that there's still got to be a compromise to say Apple gets like a tiny piece of the pie because mm-hmm. they definitely do not need 30%. But I don't see a world in which Epic gets everything that they want, right? No. And like I said last Monday, let those rich fuckers fight. Like, go ahead. <laughs> Let's put them all in Hunger Games and watch how this all goes down. No, it's it, it was such an interesting move doing what they did Knowing that they were going to get booted off the store, knowing that in a couple of weeks, there are millions, I'm assuming, of players are not going to be able to access it in iOS, having that ready and then going after Google right afterwards, it was just like, whoa, like, okay, like you did the thing. You really did that. I mean, I, like you said, I am with you. I hope they win. I hope these, these policies change. And as some people have pointed out, you know, these are just big, two rich, very, very, very rich companies just fighting and going for it. Obviously, you know, you want to hope and the hope of all hopes is that the intentions are pure, that they really do want to fight for this 30% and this open market. And of course, they're going to benefit from this in some way. But I hope it does bring about change because, yeah, it's 30% Apple. Come on. Listen, I'll just take 1%. I'll take a half a percent. Yeah, that'd be nice. Have. Just toss half it in my percent? weight for charity, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, 
I think that that's not controversial to say that Apple has more than enough money that they can walk back some of their profits. That's exactly what Epic did, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, you know, they really made a bigger showing of it, but it began last year and the year before where Epic said, hey, you know, we're doing great. Fortnite has been good to us. And so we want to give a more favorable split to developers because when they make money, we make money. And we think developers should keep more of the money they're making on our platform. And we applauded them for that. And I thought that that was an awesome move. And I was really hoping that Valve was going to follow suit. But of course they didn't because they're Valve. And they, like other big companies, like making money. But I would hope that Apple, through this whole process, can maybe look at what they're doing and go, what can we do that feels more competitive, that feels more fair, and still we are still going to be where we're at with our trillion-dollar you know, profitability anyway. Imagine. Like, we're, we're okay. Like Aaron Greenberg said about Microsoft, we're doing okay. We're Do fine. You, could you imagine just having that much fucking money and be like, no, we need so much more. Like, what are they doing with all of it? Like, what do you do with that much money? Do you just store I, it in like a house made of money? I, I don't understand. Anyway. Like Scrooge McDuck, you just have like a giant vault full of gold coins. Oh, Lord have mercy. So we did get a question from Adrian, uh, whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG. He says, from what I understand of the Epic versus Apple lawsuit, they are saying Apple completely owns the market, the App Store cut approval, and the way developers can make money on that market, the App Purchase cut approval, allows Sherman Act. So if PlayStation and Xbox make discless consoles, wouldn't it be the same? The consumer have no alternative app markets or way to purchase the games besides the console stores, and both PlayStation and Xbox take a 30% cut of all digital game sales and have an approval process on their platform and 30% cut on all DLC purchases. Is there something I'm missing here? No. You nailed it. Google Stadia is right there with them. I feel like Stadia would be the most egregious because then they still fall under Alphabet, right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that I got frustrated with last week is that everyone was pointing the finger and saying things like, fuck you, Apple. And I was like, really? We're doing that? Really? Like, sure, go ahead. Be mad at Apple, I guess. But then you might as well be mad at literally everybody else. Everybody else. And I did see, um, oh, my God, I am fucking spacing. Epic CEO, Sweeney. Tim Sweeney. <laughs> Tim Sweeney. I saw him, someone asked the same thing. Maybe this was a while back ago, but it was on a Twitter thread about why you wouldn't hold Sony, Xbox, and Nintendo to these same standards. And his answer was, well, because they don't make money on their on their console. They will eventually, but at start, it's more they operate at a loss, right? So, but when you sell it and purchase an iPhone... That is making... categorically false, by the way. Let me make sure, I, okay, let me make sure I'm not... Not fucking misquoting Tim Sweeney, but I did see this in a Twitter thread, and I didn't understand it at first, but that was my understanding. He was saying, well, because the consoles, that's not where the money is made. The money is made in the software. So therefore, because Apple makes so much money on their phones that they can afford to go less on the revenue split. Oh, so he gets to decide how companies manage their profitability now? Oh, Lord. That's, that's wild that he's giving an exception to the to Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft because they make don't make as much money on their hardware, but okay, they still have the go. same. You know what it is is that they've made deals, they've made custom deals with the with the platforms, All right. and they haven't made one with Apple. <laughs> so this is from June seventeenth. Someone wrote into Tim and said, "Hey Tim, huge respect for saying this publicly. I also appreciate you." Cr- 
I also appreciate you criticize Facebook gaming console quest for the same reason, the 30%. But what about the other consoles like Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch? Should they also allow software from any source? Where is the line? And he said, consoles are unique in that the hardware is sold at or below the cost of manufacturing and is subsidized by software sales, whereas <coughs> iOS and Android are insanely profitable for Apple and Google just from hardware sales and ads. So I don't have a problem with the concept of console platform fees. Consoles could ultimately benefit from richer store ecosystems, though. What if someday you could purchase a game once and own it all on all platforms and that support the game, PC, console, and mobile? So I think I, I, think I pretty much paraphrased that correctly. Phew. Yeah, no, you did. I think the thing that kind of stuck out to me was that he definitely cannot compare Google and Android to Apple and iOS because Google does not make money on hardware from Android the same way that Samsung does or Nokia does or literally any other Android hardware maker. Apple, of course, is a closed ecosystem, so they're definitely going to be in a different bucket, but trying to equate the that Google and Apple make equal money on hardware is laughable because Google's whole business is software. Like, sure, they have hardware, but it's such a tiny fraction of the money that they make doing software and web services around the globe. Anywho, I don't want to get too down the rabbit hole of that. We agree, like people have mentioned in the chat, corporations, not your friends, but do they provide services that you enjoy and make your life better? Absolutely. You as a consumer need to decide how you feel about it all, but I would encourage you to do your research and look at exactly what's going on and what the history of some of this legislation is. And if you want, you can also read through the entire lawsuit that Epic is bringing forth. But don't hold your breath that any kind of resolution is happening anytime soon because the last antitrust case is still in the lower courts. It's been going on for over a decade. (laughs) Fuck us all. (laughs) Feel bad for iOS Fortnite players. Yeah. Hopefully you you have your account on another device. And if you know anyone who plays Fortnite... Try to educate them on this on, on what's happening here, because yeah. otherwise, like the message they're getting fed isn't you know, it's, it's a whole thing anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. And all I would say is like you know, treat all of the companies equally. Don't just look at Apple through this evil eye lens, thinking they're the only one doing this. If you are truly upset by it, that's completely okay and valid. But then look at Nintendo's practices, look at Sony's practices, and look at Microsoft's practices. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, moving on to the next story, Brittany. Take it away. Okay. Ghost of Tsushima was the best-selling game in the U.S. in July via GamesIndustry.biz by one Rebecca Valentine. She's a gem. I love her. She is. And there's a new co-op mode coming. So should I just start with this Ghost of Tsushima part? How should yeah. I roll with this? All right, I'll roll with that. So Ghost of Tsushima was the best-selling software title in the United States during its launch month of July, but Paper Mario Origami King didn't do too shabby in its launch either. According to numbers shared by the NPD group and analysis by NPD's Matt Piscatella, total video game spending in July 2020 reached $3.6 billion, up 32% year-over-year. This includes not only NPD's normal tracking of hardware, software, and accessory spending – but also some new additions to the way NPD tracks spending from how it has in the past. Going forward, instead of reporting only monthly software sales, NPD will now report, quote, video game content sales, which includes spend on full games, DLC, microtransactions, and subscriptions across console, cloud, mobile, portable PC, and VR platforms, with mobile data provided by Sensor Tower. Oh yes, we're in the new era, Andrea, it is here. I think that this is exciting. This has been a piece of the data puzzle when it comes to NPD that we really haven't gotten a good look at. And now, obviously, we still have to rely on the platform holders and the publishers to provide the data. But I think it's great that NPD is like, yo, 
we're in a digital age now. We need to count all the digital stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I guess I never stopped to think that that hasn't been counted before, but it makes complete sense. So cool. So now let's talk about Ghost of Tsushima Legends. Ha ha ha. It is a new online cooperative multiplayer mode that will come as a free download for Ghost of Tsushima owners on PS4 later this year. I'll look at you with the B-roll, go you so fancy. Legends yeah. is an entirely new experience. It's a separate mode that doesn't follow Jin or the companions from his journey, but instead focuses on four warriors who have been built up as legends and stories told by the people of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima's single-player campaign focuses on an open world and exploring the natural beauty of the island, but Legends is a haunting and fantastical, with locations and enemies inspired by Japanese folktales and mythology and an emphasis on cooperative combat and action. <laughs> so exciting. Okay, you'll be able to partner up with friends or online via matchmaking and play Legends in groups of two to four players. Each player can choose from one of four different classes, the Samurai, Hunter, Ronin, or Assassin. Each class has unique advantages and abilities that will be revealed in the future. With two players in Ghost of Tsushima Legends, you'll be able to play a series of co-op story missions that escalate in difficulty, building on the foundation of combat from the single-player campaign, but with new magical twists that often require careful synchronization of your partner. With four players, you'll be able to take on wave-based survival missions, fighting groups of the toughest enemies Tsushima has to offer, including no Oni enemies with supernatural abilities. If you can best the story and survival missions, you will be confident enough to take on the four-player raid that will arrive shortly after the launch of Ghost of Tsushima Legends, sending you and your partners into an entirely new realm to challenge a brutal, terrifying enemy. I did not see this coming this morning. That's not what she said. I did not either. I'm absolutely excited about this. I've been having a lot of fun with the combat. I think running around with friends sounds really cool. I think it's smart of them to say we're not following Jin, so you don't have to have that fight with your friends about who gets to be Jin. It's all different classes, and there's going to be customization. This looks super cool, and it's all happening for free free is kind of mind-boggling it is and i think the timing of this is perfect too i feel like most people are still thinking about ghost of tsushima maybe most are just wrapping it up now and so instead of putting it away like i had just thought i would do because it's a single player campaign it's a very story-driven game it's a very long game if you do all the things there's really no reason for me personally to go back and play it again this is a perfect reason to hold on to it, right? And not, I mean, it's a digital copy, so it's not like I'm going to stick it on the shelf, but <laughs> metaphorically stick it on the shelf or like delete it for something else, right? So I think this is really cool. And um, it bums me out that people are once again complaining about a free thing, but they are, and that's what they do. Wait, the internet, who's complaining about it? Uh, people on the internet, because it's, it, I, I don't understand it. I think what it is, is people see something that they're like, that's weird. I'm going to say a negative thing about it. It's the fact that this game doesn't need multiplayer. It's the fact that they would rather have single player DLC. It's the fact that they'd rather see some other like expansion, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a free thing, and I think people just have a knee-jerk reaction of reacting before they educate themselves on what it is they're reacting about. You know, it's great. And I think that's – hopefully that's what most of it is. But, yo, I yeah. think this is cool. Like, let's I go. think this is awesome. The idea that they're doing raid-like content in it I think is really cool. I think it's a great way for them to explore and use all of the cool art assets that they created for all of these different armor sets in the game. And – do I think that maybe someday Sucker Punch will do single-player DLC? Sure. They have a long history of doing expansions for their single-player games. And them adding free multiplayer does not take away from the single-player experience that is Ghost of Tsushima. It's a massive experience. Mm -hmm. It's crazy because when you first played the game, because you, you know, unfortunately kind of had to really put the pedal to the metal and finish the game to try to get some content up for Embargo, 
you know, you were like, oh, I spent like 50 hours in the game. And everybody else's content that I read was like, it's more like 30 hours. And now that I'm in the game, I'm like, oh, no, there's no way that you could do this game in 30 hours <laughs> unless you just ignore all of the content on the side. And why would you do that? Like the companion missions are awesome. Oh, yeah. So there's so I'm much pumped to for do. this. I'm really excited, too. I think this is awesome. I think it's cool that they get to try something different. And I think we know who those four warriors are, which is really cool that we get to play as them. So the question that we've gotten is, what class are you going to be? What's our game plan? Ooh. Well, I just assumed that you would be samurai class. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually really like ronin class, but I'm going to be curious how they're going to make the ronin, the assassin class different. That's what I was wondering, too. Because it kind of feels like the Ronin class is the assassin class. Unless the assassin's going to be more of the on the rooftops, using the tools, using the smoke bombs and whatnot. And maybe Ronin's more just like stealthy squirrel assassin without the tri- tips and tricks. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. And I just assume the hunter class is like the archer class. But yeah. I, I loved using the bow, so I'd be happy to. You know, I'd, I like obviously shooters are one of my favorite genres, so would be happy to be hunter class. But I liked really all of the different styles. I don't know what kind of player you were, Britt, but I would frequently change my gear. Like, all the time. Even mid-mission, I would like completely change it to be like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to play this this part, and this is how I'm going to play this part. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really cool. I would have the Ronin gear while I try to be sneaky, and then when I would inevitably get caught, I would be like, okay, Sakai armor, let's go. <laughs> like, yes. Let's just do a yes. little switch right here. Okay, thank you very much. Let me bash your faces in. I need that massive health boost, please. Please help me. Oh, this is so cool. This is awesome, and it's just really great to see some free content. I mean, cool. Like, it's awesome. You know, don't complain about it. Yes. Friends. Yeah. Yes, I think it's great. Um, kudos to Sucker Punch. Can't wait. It says fall 2020, and uh, that will just add to the pile. I honestly hope this comes out, like, October. Please, please happen in early October, because November is just, it's too full. There's too many other things. Do us <laughs> Nothing a solid. Else in November, thanks. Do us a solid, please. Thanks. all right everybody let's move on to the next story and it is marvel's avengers beta code references long list of planned characters Woohoo! okay so i'm gonna read this one because i i admit it and i this isn't news i don't follow the superhero shit so i'm not gonna know any of these people are so i'll read andrew can react i'm sure she'll be very excited so, the Marvel's Avengers beta hit PC this weekend and brought with it the opportunity, this is via Eurogamer, by the way, and brought with it the opportunity for fans to easily peer within its code. Hey, Andrea, would you peer within my code if you were a hacker? Without hesitation. <laughs> All right, as fans with many, as with many betas, various references exist within, within it, pointing to future features for the main game, including a sizable list of playable characters. Data miner RoboMatters dug up this list from within the beta's ex- executable file and chronicled his discovery in the video below each is named with the unlockable player playable character prefix so here is the full list it confirms post-launch edition of ant-man and many more characters made famous by the marvel cinematic universe or the mcu as you cool kids call it all right we got ant-man black panther captain marvel captain america dr strange falcon hawkeye hulk hulkbuster iron man kamala kate bishop marvell Mockingbird, Quake, Scarlet Witch, She-Hulk, Thor, Vision, War Machine, Wasp, Black Widow, and Winter Soldier. How many Hulks are there? <laughs> well, there's just one Hulk, but Hulk Buster is the giant set of armor 
that Tony Stark wears when he has to face off against the Hulk. And it's not really, well, like, I don't it's know. Not- if, maybe the chat can correct me here. I wouldn't necessarily call Hulk Buster a separate character because it's not like, I guess it's technically, you could call it sentient if you look at Jarvis as the one who's driving it. But that's weird. That's a weird thing. I'm with you. Yeah. I wouldn't call, like, Hulkbuster a character. But... It's more like a skin. No? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, like a costume. It's a suit. Okay. It's already in beta. All right. Uh, Andrea, what does this do for you? I mean, to me, this looks like an incredibly ambitious list of characters. Obviously, some of the people on this list are already announced. Like, Hawkeye was first announced as, like, the one Avenger that is going to be released as DLC first. I know people were very upset during the original announcement of Marvel's Avengers. Like, why is Hawkeye getting the shaft? Where is Hawkeye? And they're like, don't worry. We're putting him in the game post-launch. So I think that this is a great list. These are all names that people who are familiar with the MCU are going to recognize. But once again, these are not going to be the faces that you recognize from the MCU, right? So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Crystal Dynamics takes these characters and makes them their own. The reactions from the beta have been very mixed mm-hmm. over these last couple of weekends. I think that you know what we talked about previously still kind of holds as far as community reactions. Some people having a blast, absolutely loving it. Other people going, nah, it's not for me. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I still haven't played it. And I think I actually, well, I don't know, because the more of the issues seems to lie within the gameplay itself, right? And that it's kind of repetitive. It's kind of boring. Because for me, like, I don't have that affinity to these characters. I think it's like, cool. I know we'll obviously the Hulk is in Captain Marvel and Captain America. There we go. And I just kind of want an interesting story. But it sounds like it's more based off the uh, gameplay. And the story sounds like it's been kind of like, eh. Not well, something. it's tough because, like, in a beta, they're going to make the story thin because they don't want to give any spoilers away, right? So yeah. I think, you know, remains to be seen once the game comes out how the story and the narrative is going to line up. And if this kind of extensive DLC plan is going to be tenable for them, they've obviously made it clear that they want this to be a live service game. So I guess just like TBD. TBD. I think what this does tell us is that there's going to be a lot of support for this game for a very, very long time, which I think is something we already knew. But still, I mean, that's a pretty impressive list. Yeah. No, it is. I There's a lot of people on this list that I'd be super excited about. Love Captain Marvel. I think that Falcon is fun. I have never really gotten to play She-Hulk in anything, so she could be really fun. Thor, of course, is already in the game. Uh, Vision, I think, could be very exciting. So lots, uh, lots to do here. All right. All right. Well, on to our final story of the day and this one is kind of a mix part of the story comes from twinfinite.com and part of it is from the press release that was sent directly to me by their pr team so this is all about animal farm so before i read this Brittany, do you, are you familiar with what animal farm is i am excellent Look at that. Literary school is important, everybody. All right, here we go. Today marks 75 years since George Orwell's wildly influential literary novel Animal Farm was first published. Now a small collective of indie developers and the estate of George Orwell are proud to announce the legendary work is set to become a video game. Animal Farm will be an adventure game that immerses players in Orwell's story by choosing which of the animals' wishes they follow and who is ignored or sidelined. Gamers will influence the critical event that define the fate of the farm. Now, before I continue on, I want to show you guys the trailer that was released today. Oh, I haven't this seen this game. Myself. Oh, okay. 
Players must devise strategy to balance resources, defend the farm, and keep the animal population happy. With its evocative 1930s painterly graphics, Animal Farm puts the player oh. at the center of an allegorical revolution and enables them to experience firsthand the corrupting power or the corrupting nature of power. From Twinfinite, just a little bit more detail for you guys. Animal Farm is a literary masterpiece that uses deceptively simple language to accurately describe the downfall of communism from the dream of equality into totalitarian oppression. The fate of the farm was all too real for me growing up in totalitarian Hungary. History seems to repeat itself once more. I should say that this statement comes from one of the project's co-founders, Imre Jalei. Jalei? Yeah. Jill? I'm Imre Sorry, Jalei. I'm probably saying your last name wrong. History seems to repeat itself, and once more, Orwell's classic has become painfully relevant, warning as some Western democracies started using tools and language eerily similar to those oppressive regimes of the past. I've long wanted to explore through video games how we could design an experience which immerses the player in Orwell's vision, and in Nariel, we found the perfect partner to make this happen. Dang. That was a pig eating a horse neck. That was, uh, I was wondering, because, you know, you, obviously if you've read Animal Farm, it's uh, it's not like a super happy children's book. You know, oh, which is no. funny because not at all. <laughs> I remember watching, there was a movie made, correct? Or not? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay, because I have these vivid images in my head of Napoleon and Snowball the Pigs and Boxer the Horse and whatnot. But I can't remember where, I, where those came from. And I want to say middle school. But uh, it's been a really, really long time, but the story has still stuck with me. So, no, this is a really fascinating read, and uh, I don't recommend books often, obviously, because, you know, I'm not really the reader of the group here, but I would recommend reading it. It's it's a fascinating way of telling a story, and it's done so well. Yeah, it's it's just, oh, it's good. And this is cool that they're doing, I, I guess, adventure game would be the, the route to take this game. So, anyway, what I was getting at is I was wondering, like, how are they going to, like, depict these? Or, and then you see, again, the horse or the pig eating the horse's neck. And you're like, okay, yep, that makes sense. If you've read the book, you're like, okay, yeah. Yep. Yep. So it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I think that there's a lot of really exciting and innovative things happening in the indie space. And they're allowed to take more risks than big triple A's are. And we've talked about that on the show before. And this game in particular seems like it might strike a nerve with some people in a good way. So. Yeah. And I, I wish. I'm excited. I am too. And I wish I would have read this actually as an older human. Because I think when you're a little kid, you don't quite get it. But now, like, rereading the plot synopsis like I did earlier, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you have that appreciation because you kind of see how fucked the world is as you get older. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? And Mr. Yasmin in the chat mentions about the project that Andy Serkis is working on, a CG farm for Animal – or CG movie for Animal Farm – and I just quickly Googled it, and it says that Netflix has bought the adaptation. Of course, Andy Serkis, famous for his role as Gollum in the Lord of the Rings franchise, but has his own CG studio called Imagineerum that has worked on a ton of projects, and apparently Animal Farm is going to be one of them. Interesting. Lots of things happening. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're getting close to the part of the show where we take your guys' questions. Just as a reminder, whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG is where you can join the show by sending in your questions. We, of course, will also try to get questions from chat if we see them. But I realized, Brittany, that there was one little piece of the NPD that I was going to add into the show notes that I didn't. So I want to add it now. Uh, and this actually broke over the weekend and the 
headline comes from Eurogamer. The Last of Us Part 2 is the third highest grossing game in the U.S. in PlayStation history. And these numbers, of course, as I mentioned, come from the NPD group. And it means that it's the only first-party Sony title to land in the top Last of Us to Last in the top. To top? Hold on. Let me reread this sentence. As reported by NPD group. And spotted by our pals at VGC. This means the only first-party Sony titles to top The Last of Us 2 in terms of life-to-date profits are Insomniac's Marvel's Spider-Man and Sony's Santa Monica's God of War. And both of those have been out for considerably longer than Naughty Dog's highly anticipated sequel. So, we already knew that Last of Us Part Two was arguably, arguably going to be the biggest game of 2020, probably really only vying against Cyberpunk 2077. And Naughty Dog confirmed that the sequel had shipped 4 million copies during its opening weekend, making it the fastest-selling PS4 exclusive worldwide ever. So congrats to the team at Naughty Dog for this. They definitely have a little ways to go to catch up to Spider-Man. But considering that Spider-Man is much more of a family-friendly game than Last of Us Part 2 is, I don't know if they're ever going to catch Spidey. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a good point, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just pretty has confident the that they won't. <laughs> the universal appeal. It's just the Spider-Man. Not, oh, my God, the apocalypse. Why, yeah. why it do doesn't you need take to play away from the absolutely incredible job, though. Yeah. And why do you need did. to play a game in the apocalypse when we're kind of... Never mind. I'm not going to... Life is good, Andrea. We're doing the thing. I'm not going to say anything that's a Debbie Downer, except for the following, that do we really need Skyward Sword on the Switch? Oh, well, this is a question, Brittany, that I think you are very apt to answer. <sighs> a positive spit on everything. Positivity, friends, is the motto of the day. <laughs> okay, so in case you missed it, over the weekend, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword was briefly listed on Amazon for Switch. It has since been removed, and now some links just direct you directly to the Wii game of Skyward Sword. So this is, uh, Andrea, I'm assuming you never played this, right? Skyward Sword? On the Wii? No. No. Okay. That's what I thought. So Skyward Sword released on the Wii. It was one of the launch titles for the... Was it a launch title for the Wii? No. no, That was Twilight Princess. That was Twilight Princess. Wii Sports was the launch title. Uh, It was Twilight Princess, which also released on the GameCube. Was it the GameCube that went to this? Oh, my God. Time. What is time? Anyway, yeah. So Skyward Sword was on the Wii. And what's important about Skyward Sword is that it is the first canon game in the zelda timeline it tells about the creation of the master sword it tells about you know the lake helia goddess and it's all that sorts of stuff you get to see zelda and link interact in a way blah blah blah. i personally was not a huge fan of this i would say it's probably my least favorite zelda game because i didn't like all the repetitive locations you had to go back to i didn't like the fact that it was all in the sky and i did not did not like the motion controls at all that said, I think the story of Skyward Sword is important, and now that I kind of have like the proper expectations for what kind of Zelda game this is, I would love to revisit it, and I think it, it might be a good contender for for the Switch. In fact, I think about how I played this game for the first time because you remember the Wii; it had the nunchuck and it had the little the little waggle stick. I don't remember what it was actually called, not the waggle stick, nunchuck and the Wii Mote. So how Jason and I played this game because we played it together is I controlled the nunchuck and then he controlled the Wii Mote. And so I would move Link, and then Jason would do all the actions. I don't know how we made it work, but we made it work, and we were able to finish the whole game and play it that way. But anyway, I digress. So apparently this is a thing that could be happening. Um, however, I wouldn't expect to hear about it anytime soon, because tomorrow, while Nintendo does have 
a press conference. It's their Indie World Showcase. So this will be taking place tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific on August 18th. It's going to be 20 minutes. But again, like, it's important to stress that this is not going to be first party stuff. This is going to be indie, 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 indie. Indie! So don't be getting all your panties in a tight and twisted bundle, friends, because what's going to happen is you're going to be disappointed, and then you're going to have to untwist those panties, and it ain't going to be a good feeling. So just don't like, twist them. Like your new gift says, you can untwist those panties. Untwist the panties. So Skyward Sword, probably coming to the Switch at some point. Tomorrow, Nintendo's having a 20-minute indie showcase. Uh, but cool. Still don't know what they're up to. I guess technically Nintendo doesn't have to compete with anyone because they're doing cartwheels in their own universe. Ain't that the truth? Yep. Well, anyway, there we are. I know that you're still holding out hope for an Ocarina of Time remake. Oh God, girl! I literally fan—not not sexually fantasize, but I do fantasize about this. I have it. I have it in my head how it would go down. The pl- the pandemic would be over. We Nintendo would bring their fucking press conferences back. It, they were in the Nokia Theater back in the day. Hasn't that been rebranded? I think it probably has. I don't the Nokia care. Theater? Yeah, yeah it's the Microsoft there. Theater. Microsoft Theater. Okay, yes. See, times is last work. I don't remember. Anyway, we'd all be sitting there in the audience. The lights would dim. You would hear the soft sound of galloping hooves in the distance. Then all of a sudden, the ding from the opening jingle of Ocarina of Time's title screen would kick in. An opponent would just start galloping across. But it would be all fucking sexy in next-gen graphics. And then I would shit my pants and cry at the same time. I would lose so many bodily fluids in that moment, Andrea, when that happens. You don't even understand. All I can think of is the gif I'm going to make from that. Oh, my God. <laughs> shit your pants and cry at the same time. Oh, Amazing. I, I would become so dehydrated. But it is like... <laughs> It's the one moment that I have to experience before I die. I have to see an Ocarina of Time remake. It has to be unveiled in the most badass way possible. It's not until then that I have truly lived. I feel like you're not going to get that that theater moment, though. Because with the way the Nintendo Direct is, like, there's just not that there's never going to be another one of those moments. You know, probably not. So here's what I'll do. I'll settle. I'll settle on my big computer monitor with my headset. That's fine. Just like, just do, take up my whole life. Take up my whole screen. Give me that theatrical experience as best you can, and then I'll be good. But don't announce it in a fucking tweet on a Sunday morning, Nintendo. Please don't do that to me. You wouldn't do that to me. They wouldn't do that to me. No, no. A game that big? It would probably be a, and one more thing at the end of a direct, and then they would drop the the teaser. That would be my guess. Yeah. Oh, God. It's going to happen one of these days. It's going to happen. And I'm going to cry harder than I've ever cried before. Anyway. <clears throat> are you okay now? Are I'm you okay. ready to continue? I'm all fired up. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on to Dear WGG. And we had a couple of questions sent in. And one of those questions is from Bryant Chapel. Any thoughts on the recent patent filing for Apple's cloud-based gaming service and how that might affect their defense against not allowing xCloud and Stadia? Does this add more fuel to the fire in an antitrust case? Now, that's an interesting question, Brian, and something that somebody brought up last week saying that, you know, Apple's clearly trying to box out their competition because they're also going to be doing a cloud gaming streaming service. And I would say that while on its face it might look antitrust and anti-competitive, I don't think that Apple is going to come into the space with a cloud gaming service that people are going to flock to over a very established gaming brand like Xbox or somebody who has established tech with worldwide servers who I have no doubt are going to beat Apple in technology like Google. So 
I mean, yes, maybe. I'm not, again, mm. a legal expert, so I don't know how that would affect their antitrust lawsuit because more importantly, Epic's point of the lawsuit is not about the anti-competitiveness in the cloud gaming space specifically, but in the gaming space overall and charging for in-game items that are sold via the App Store across all developers, not just cloud gaming services. So I do think it's an interesting wrinkle, of course, and clearly one of the motivations for why Apple has kind of had an iron fist on their policy regarding games products, but I don't think that it's going to be like a nail in the coffin for Apple in this case by any means. So... I'm Brit, still thinking about Ocarina of Time. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to I'd be honest. Like, you sounded really smart in everything you just said. But I, guess. <laughs> I do love how um, Mata says, just make sure you're wearing an adult diaper or you're on a toilet. We're not savages here. L- listen, Madame, I can't help when Nintendo makes this announcement. I could be anywhere, and it's going to happen. It doesn't matter where I'm at. So hopefully I'll be on the middle of a toilet, in, on the middle of a toilet, sitting <laughs> atop a toilet. But I might not be, and it's good. it's okay, you know? You just got to love me. <gasps> love me for who I am. Listen, I'm not trying to think about you on a toilet, but you yeah, just you made are. it impossible. Yeah, you okay. are. Yeah, you are. You it's made okay. it. You made it. You know, listen, I'm not going to kink shame you, Andrea. It's fine. You do you, girl. I do not have a toilet kink <laughs> for the record. No kinks no, about toilets. Andrea doesn't have a toilet kink and she doesn't have a seal fetish. Let's just make that no. very clear. Yes, thank you. As if I had to keep saying that, I don't have a thing for seals. It's not a thing. Oh, even though I do want to go back and read that book, but no, no thing for seals. Okay. Now that we've all had a nice laugh about me and my seal bando, that's fine. Um, um let me take, let me take a look at the doc here. Oh Lord. I was going to say I could, you know, call you and just arf in your ear from time to time, but I don't know if you'd like that very much. <clears throat> yeah, you could. I mean, oh, uh, Actually, you know what? No, I think I'm gonna. <laughs> I think I'm gonna put the veto on that. Now that I've thought about it, thoughts and dreams um, crushed. I do want to. There's a couple good questions in here, and I saw that Ricky just added this one, and I think it really is a good kind of cap on some of the conversations we had around NPD. Um, uh, Ricky Rich writes in and says, "Dear WGG, in regards to July NPD sales numbers, what are your opinions on the fact that so many top games are exclusives? Is this a good enough argument for console makers to continue to offer exclusives in order to sell their hardware, or do you feel that exclusives are bad for the industry?" I mean, it's a tough question. Um, Britt, do you have thoughts? I feel like you know, yeah. Th- I mean, if you've seen like exclusives at the tippity top of the chart, I think that's indicative. Like, yeah, like do your exclusives like that's what people look at sony in the position they're in and that's because of their exclusives i think and obviously you know there's an argument to be made that microsoft bought their launch way back in the day but since then you think about exclusives you think about sony and that's why when people ask what kind of console did they want you know they ask me what console do i get i'm like well do you like spider-man do you like god of war do you like post-apocalyptic games with mushroom people trying to eat you aka the last of us then cool like get a get a playstation so i don't know why anyone would stray away from exclusives at this point. No, I don't think exclusives are bad for the industry either. And to answer that question specifically, Brittany made a good point about like why from a business perspective, exclusives are good. Obviously Nintendo has made billions of dollars on their exclusives, right? They're essentially an exclusive machine. But I think the thing that consumers don't think about when they have a gut reaction to exclusives are bad is that exclusives are better for developers because it means that they can focus their development on a single piece of hardware and a single style of code instead of trying to adapt their code to multiple different architectures. And that's a lot more difficult 
than most gaming consumers think it is, right? It's not easy for a game to be multi-platform, particularly if it's a large game that has a lot of moving parts. Like, I don't think a game like Ghost of Tsushima would probably have played as well if Sucker Punch had to try to optimize that code for multiple different kinds of hardware. Mm -hmm. Now, we do see some third-party games do really well, but they're generally from either really massive publishers that have the funds to invest in teams to make those multi-platform codes, or they're a much smaller title. Take a game like the Lego series from TT Games. Those games are multi-platform across a really diverse section of hardware, but the formula for those games from a development standpoint are all pretty similar. They obviously spend a lot of money and time in the art department and really tailoring the games for the IP that they're based on and, of course, getting good voice talent, et cetera, et cetera. But the overall structure of the code of those games is probably not that different title to title. So the other person we see really do this well, of course, is Rockstar Games, known for multi-platform amazing releases. And so I think that, you know, you really have to kind of go, you know, is it worth it to get a lot more, you know, games that are inherently going to be buggy, knowing that, you know, developers need to spend more time developing multiple kinds of code or... Is it okay that everybody has exclusives knowing that they get to really focus and hone in on that specific hardware? Like, I don't think a game like Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla could have existed on this engine, on the Decima engine, if they had to make it for multi-platform. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. nailed it, girl. I mean, I do appreciate that, you know, some people in the chat, I see, you know, both, you know, Boondangle and Danny talking about, you know, other games being exclusives, talking about Bayonetta 2, for example. And I see Danny mentioning about unified engines like Unreal. And I, and I definitely think that those points are valid. But, I mean, Unreal can't do everything, you know, and Unity can't do everything. That's why you get developers that have very specific engines developed for their games, like how DICE had Frostbite, how Gorilla had Decima Engine. You know, how Ubisoft has their own proprietary engine for Assassin's Creed, for example. So, mm -hmm. and that's sometimes not as easy to do when you're multi-platform. Or, like I said, a big publisher that has money to invest in a large dev team. Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you for your question. Yeah. I do find it fascinating. Yeah, I don't think exclusives are going anywhere. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Mario on PlayStation. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I do hope though, that publishers take a look at doing exclusive DLC on a multi-platform game. Because now I just feel like with the onset of cross-play becoming more prolific, that it just doesn't feel as, as okay anymore in an all-digital era. That, to me, is like a whole separate conversation. But I don't know how you feel about that. Have we talked can, about that, Britt? Can you can – you, I was trying to break down what you just said, and I think I was confused. So Sure. So perfect example of – Something that has been on everybody's minds over the last week is the character of Spider-Man right. in Marvel's Avengers. Marvel's Avengers, a multi-platform game. Spider-Man, a single-platform exclusive piece of a multi-platform game. Mm -hmm. Now, that as an exclusive conversation is very different than games that are platform exclusive you can only play. Like Halo, like Last of Us, right? Or like, you know, Pokemon. Right. So, I think that conversation is different, but... Also, I don't know. That's what I was saying is I don't know if you and I have talked specifically about how you feel about that. 
I don't remember either, and I don't know why I'm still not completely understanding what your question is. Oh, the question is, is do you think that multi-platform games should have exclusive DLC, or do you think we're in an oh. era where that DLC should stop existing? Oh, yeah, I think the exclusive DLC for multi-platform games, it's like all jumbled up in my head, I think it kind of sucks. I, you know, It kind of goes back to the conversation we had, right, when we talked about Spider-Man. Uh, coming to Avengers on PS4 only. And I, it's just that thing where it, it reminds me of Days of Old, right? Where you had those really nasty those nasty ones where it was those games with all those exclusive characters. And depending on which platform you played on, you almost had an entirely different game. So I guess like my gut reaction is I don't personally think it's good. I think it's just kind of icky. But I don't know why those those deals would go away, especially when you look at the funding that's behind it and the deals that people strike with it to get those right so it's like that thing where usually it doesn't impact me I can't think of a game where I got screwed over because of my platform choice the last thing I could think about was those remember GameStop they used to have those exclusive deal like pre-order bonuses and they maybe they still have that but I feel like you don't hear about it as often anymore that's think, true. Yeah. You don't. I mean, I used to read a lot of those deals when I worked. At oh, that was your job, girl. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a there was a ton, and they they still do exist, of course. But yeah, they're f- fewer and far between today. I'm with you that it feels ickier now, and especially mm-hmm. when so many games have cross progression built in, which I love, and I think is an amazing step towards a bigger cross platform world where people get to play with each other. But I also understand the point you made about. You know, marketing's gonna market. They're gonna make deals as long as somebody can make money off of it. Make that money, Ugh. honey. Deals bad, man, says Coder Chris. Some cool DLCs on PS4, but if you have an Xbox or vice versa, what benefit does exclusive DLC give to the consumer? I mean, it, it oh. gives a benefit if you are in that ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you own a PlayStation 4, you are incentivized to buy Marvel's Avengers to get Spider Man on PlayStation 4. I'm not going to lie. It's the exact reason why I played Destiny, the original Destiny on PlayStation 4, because mm-hmm. they had exclusive strikes, exclusive guns. They had a lot more exclusive content. In fact, they had the only exclusive content in the PlayStation ecosystem for years. And that drove my decision to play Destiny on PS4. And to this day, many years later, I play Destiny and buy Destiny DLC on PlayStation, thus giving PlayStation a cut of that transaction. And that's why Activision did the deal, you know, back in like, what, 2012, 2013 is probably yeah. when the deal was made. I think the last time I made a decision based off exclusive DLC, and I could be memory- remembering this incorrectly, was when Diablo, the Reaper of Souls edition came out. And didn't the PlayStation version have some TLU tie-ins? I felt huh. like it had some, some, some sort of exclusive tie-in to that for some re- part of the game. And I remember thinking, like, okay, like, that, for sure, like, that sounds fun. Because before that, I'd played primarily on Xbox 360. Yeah, that was 360. The The first story I see is how the Last of Us clickers found their way into Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls. Yeah. Blizzard explains how the surprising crossover took place. Yeah. I think that was the last time I made a decision based off of that. So it's been a while, which is a good sign. But usually I feel like it's fighters or some well, yeah we talked about this that one week i don't remember what the game was called i yet forgot again but it was the one you had all the fighters and depending on which game you played soul caliber no might have been soul caliber unclear unclear but there you go there's the yeah. thing there's the thing 
Well, thank you, everybody, for your questions and for participating in What's Good Games Live this week. Don't forget, if you've got questions for this show or the Friday show, you can always send them to whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG. And if you want to get your questions prioritized, the best way to do that is to join our community at patreon.com slash whatsgoodgames, where you can also get the show ad-free. You know, we had a lot of ads in the last show. I mean, I'm still dreaming about my Omaha steaks, not going to lie. <laughs> but if you don't want to hear about those ads... Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. Five bucks a month. Never have to listen to ads again. Just a friendly reminder. I think we have fun with our ads. We have a good time. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we talk about all kinds of things. Drinks. Trimming your ball ball hairs. Um, (laughs) Drinks. Food. Steaks. Underwear. I mean, Fitness. Yeah. Fitness. Yeah. All kinds of things that help you, that will help your life. You know, deals if you want them. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for the show for this week. Hopefully, we'll see you later today for my stream with Rhea. Otherwise, we'll see you later this week. Bye, everybody.